Hey everybody, welcome to Literary Disco on Lit Hub Radio, episode 171, Middlemarch, book three. Today, part three of our quarantine read of George Eliot's classic novel, Middlemarch. We will be discussing book three, entitled Waiting for Death. <laughs> This is Literary Disco, the last book club you'll ever need. We're Todd, Julia, and Ryder, three old friends who love to read, debate, and sometimes even agree. I am actor and filmmaker Ryder Strong. Joining me, as always, are novelist and critic Todd Goldberg and essayist and radio personality Julia Pistel. Hey, guys. Hey! Hey. Can I tell you guys about my current obsession before we talk about Middlemarch? Sure. And it's, it's Ryder's current obsession, too. So I presume, Julia, you must be into this shit also. Oh, boy. Oh, no. This woman, Mary Neely, is doing the musicals and playing all the roles herself and filming them? No. You haven't seen this, Julia? You haven't seen this? Oh, Oh, my God. It's so good. I've I've watched the Hamilton one, like, I don't know, 15 times. Yeah. (laughs) I've watched the Grease one. The Grease one is so good. Oh my god, she's a genuinely good actor. Like you, she's so committed in her eyes. Like and, and, you know, she's by herself, right? Yeah. And yet, the way that she frames the eye lines and the angles, it you you completely believe that she is looking at another person and reacting to each other. And it's just her. It's so yeah. It's I mean, like that. What I tweeted about was her her direction because i think the directing and the editing is superb it's so amazing and she, she's um, got like wait. she's got like i want to say like 10 of them or something up on her twitter feed and i just started seeing them last week and then i guess entertainment weekly or someone picked up on them oh she's huge now she's gonna she's gonna have a, a whole career after this i mean she's been making short films and web series and stuff mm-hmm. for a while like i went through i haven't watched all of her stuff but i looked her up, looked her up and She's pretty impressive, and I think this, like, she just hit at the right moment right. with the right thing that everybody wants right now, um, because it's really, it's, I mean, it's just lip sync. Right. You know, it's not like, <laughs> but it's done, it's done with such commitment, and it's done so well, and it clearly took her, like, days to do some of those, right. that Hamilton one. Uh, it's like, all right, that's just it's just good it's just good filmmaking you know it's really so she's gonna be working like crazy and the amazing thing too is that so she portrays all the different actors uh in all these scenes so she does like grease little shop of horrors hamilton um uh like like every every musical les mis like every musical you can imagine but apparently like in her house she keeps the wardrobe of everything she's ever done on any stage that she's ever been on (laughs) Because this girl's got a collection of wigs like you've never seen before. Just hundreds of wigs. Well, I think she only has one guy wig. <laughs> yeah, this is the blonde one that sort of goes back. All, all the men have the same like hair. <laughs> yeah, she's like a Ken doll. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, it's going to be interesting over the next couple of weeks. Is you know, you know, somebody's shooting. Multiple people are probably sh- shooting full movies right now. Right. And so we're going to have like the first quarantine film relatively soon i would say within the next you know like i i I don't know if you guys saw the the tweet that i sent out about the this from the the stunt guys yes i love we're all stuck in quarantine that was so cool so there's going to be more and more ambitious projects i think coming up and i'm super excited you know i have a friend jacob chase did a little short film that he posted on facebook that was pretty great it was clearly just his iphone and him and um his wife like but he made a great little film you know Mm -hmm. it's like it's a good little horror film, but somebody's making a feature right now. 
I know because I've been considering it. And like, you know, right. Alex and I are sitting around. We're like, all right, we should be writing something and shooting it right now. Well, but, to be know, fair, life writers, has other you finished writing priorities. a script last week. Yes. So there was that. Yes. I'm going to turn in my new book tomorrow. So I feel pretty good awesome. about that. And Julia is currently hiding in a um, (laughs) illegal space in Hartford, Connecticut. Yeah, my illegal improv studios that no one has been in in six weeks except for me. I've been here three times. It's great. (laughs) All the candy, beer, and, uh, you know, everything's still here just the way it was when we turned the lights off. And uh, as I told these guys, my friend left seven boxes of Girl Scout cookies here. So joke's on you, Casey. (laughs) Wait, Julia, is it part of the theater? Like, is it in the same building as the theater? It is now. We recently moved the studios into the same building um, because business is so good. So you could go on. You have a whole stage to yourself right now. I could. Yes. Yeah. I could do anything. Now we're talking. (laughs) Now you and Greg should start doing some musical reenactments on that stage. Oh, yeah. Little... Uh, yeah. I, There's something there. I see an opportunity for you guys to not just do musical reenactments, but you could also do some of the greatest duets in, in music history. Well, these two, they, they sang A Whole New World at my wedding. Right. So they could reenact that, do a little magic carpet ride. What about... I have certain songs that are on my like fantasy list to make Greg sing with me. Um, He's resistant, but I think I can wear him down. Baby, yeah. when I met you, there was peace <laughs> no. on earth. No, little islands in the stream. <laughs> no, I, I just talking... want to. I just want to apologize to anyone that had to hear that in their ears. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> maybe maybe you shouldn't have opened the, your mouth for that. Sorry that of the <laughs> three happened. people here that can sing, or the two people here that can sing, one of them is not me. <laughs> I can't sing either, man. You can it's, sing. I really can't. I really? really can't. No, that's surprising. No. What about your so Broadway can, beginnings? Can, yeah. What about I when know. you were Les Mis? Was that when you? Were- well, have you ever noticed that Gavroche is just sort of rapping? <laughs> He's shouting cutely. Right. Exactly. And when I was ten, I could shout cutely. Uh, by the time I was twelve, I couldn't. You know. Yeah, it was really a bummer because they they even reached out to me when I was older, like when I was in my tw- like twenty or nineteen or whatever to to come be Marius, mm. like you know they because they they bring people back all the time right. uh, to come be the older parts, and of course I would have loved to, but I was like I'm sorry, like I just can't, I do not have the chops for this, which is a bummer. So yeah. before we start, I have a good lame story from this week. Uh, so my daughter has a penguin that looks like really stern and it's its wings are like all hunched up in its neck uh and so greg and i have been calling this penguin javert forever forever <laughs> I'll, I'll put a picture on our on our twitter um and so it's sort of lost its meaning so she just calls it javert it's the only one of her animals that has a name that isn't like the rabbit you know um and we were listening to Les Mis the other day, and we were like, oh, that's Javert. And she was like, what? Like, it blew her mind. <laughs> so, yeah, she's like, the penguin is singing? Yeah, exactly. That's my penguin? Oh, and God. She, I mean, she, it Now she has nightmares But the then, penguins. Then gonna- we were like, oh, here we go. 
Uh, we put on One Day More, and we were like, this voice is your sleepy bear. This voice oh, is the pig. Oh, my God. So she, and she, like, completely bought it. She was like, okay, okay. Like, the, the, <laughs> they all have these, like, intense. She's going to wake up in the middle of the night, and all her stuffed animals are going to be performing One Day More in her bed. <laughs> that, is- <laughs> that is the most terrifying vision. Another yeah. day, another destiny. <laughs> Yeah, I'll put some pictures of these animals on our Facebook so everyone can imagine what is happening in Vega's brain now. Yeah, that you're destroying Vega's reality when she can't leave her house, I think, is a pretty great move. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Creating a poltergeist nightmare in her bedroom. Perfect. Do you remember when you found out that that your stuffed penguin was starring in Broadway musicals? (laughs) On the odd hours when you're asleep? And then he's an uptight suicidal cop. <laughs> <laughs> Wasn't oh, a good my... choice. Oh god. Uh... I look I actually look like an uptight suicidal cop today. I grew out my mustache listeners. I'll put a photo up. I look pretty hardcore. Yeah, I don't think they wanna see. Look pretty good. It is very cop like, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, that was my that was my goal. Yeah, I could see, I, I could see you being a cop, a beat cop in <laughs> in Barstow, Boise, <laughs> somewhere where there's no crime. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> somewhere where you, the mustache is the crime. Right, somewhere where I wouldn't have to chase anyone. <laughs> Look, when you're done doing crimes, come back to the station. I'll be there. <laughs> so, guys, all right, guys, shall we uh, jump into book three? Yeah. Waiting for death. Uh, begins with chapter 23 of Middlemarch. Um, it's been a, we took a little bit of a break here. We haven't been uh, very consistent on our reading, but hopefully we can can keep keep a better pace. Because yeah. I had to look back and, and remember who certain people were already, which is not oh a good sign. God. Only yeah. 240 pages. we got to accelerate, in. not decelerate. Yes. Know? Well, but I don't so think that will be hard after this one. Okay, I Todd, had, yes, no. do you have something to say? I had an interesting experience with this uh, section. For one thing, I had never paid attention to the titles of these individual books. And when I realized that um, this one was titled Waiting for Death, and then the other one was titled Old and Young, the first one's titled Miss Brooke, which doesn't say much, but I realized these are some noir-ass titles on these these Middlemarch books. Because the next book is titled... uh, um, three love it? problems. Yeah, three love problems, which is also some dark ass shit. And then there's some more. the The dead hand is uh, towards the end of this mm-hmm. novel. The widow and the wife. Yeah, like, like, like this is like some temptations. This is some James M. Cain level noir that it's we are so suddenly true. walking ourselves into. So I had the unusual experience of reading these pages and finding myself. Um, well, apart from the 50 pages with those people I don't fucking care about until it pays off in the last chapter, um, extraordinarily compelled. Yes! <laughs> but You've been middle-marched. By the story that I was reading, and also extraordinarily compelled in chapter 29 when uh, George Eliot steps out of the book... Uh, so chapter yeah. 29 begins, one morning, some weeks after her arrival at Lorwick, Dor- Dorothea 
and then it's uh, an M dash. But why always Dorothea? Yes. Was her point of view the only possible one with regard to this marriage? I protest against all your interest, all our effort and understanding being given to the young skins that look blooming in spite of trouble. For these two will get faded, and one of the older and more eating griefs, which we are helping to neglect. And I was like, oh, shit. Yeah. <laughs> it's a big leap, actually. Yeah. Because I remember we talked about how there was a random, like, we mm-hmm. and first person, like, earlier on. But this is, like, postmodern shit yeah. to be like, why do I always write about Dorothea? Why yeah. don't, let's talk about the older folks for a minute. Like, and you're like, when, yeah. When that... And then she gets into Kazabon and you're just like, oh, right. this is this is great. And so when, yeah. when that happened, I was like, this is not the book I thought I was reading. It sets you up for a Jane Austen kind of book, mm-hmm. but it's starting to deliver more of a Bronte kind of book yeah. <laughs> or maybe just a George Eliot book. Um, right. And so at that point I was like, Holy fucking shit, she has been setting me up for uh, 278 pages for that line. Why, mm-hmm. why Dorothea, though? Why are we spending so much time with her? And I was like, right. God damn. And so uh, Wendy had gone out for a run and she came back, and uh, I was like, Turns out, Middlemarch. <laughs> Pretty good. good. <laughs> She's like, well, there's a reason that it's Middlemarch. She's like, right. Yeah, I kind of can't believe how much I I care, <laughs> considering how little has happened. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like that's like basically like the crux of the drama right now is two arguments between Casabon and Dor- in that storyline. Right. You know, like the, that's those are the big things. They've had two tense discussions. Conversations, yeah, arguments, yeah. not this, even. But yeah, not even arguments because they, but they, but two oh tense conversations God. that that eat at the essence of both people and yes. their belief about who each other are. Yes. And so now all of a sudden you're like, oh, this is like a profound existential crisis that we're involved in. Yeah, that could only be saved if one of them were to die. Oh, maybe someone's going to fall ill. Because we are waiting for death, are we not? Yeah, well, that's the title, yeah. Little, little on the nose by the end. Well, that's not whose death we're waiting for. <laughs> no, it turns um, out. Wow, so this I, is incredible, um, Todd. I, I, was, I was really... So, okay. I was really compelled by the Dorothea and Kazaban, and then also the, the Lydgate and Rosamund section. Less yep. so about the first... The Vincy's. Yeah, the Vinci stuff that's like 50 pages long. Really? I mean, it's good, friend. and it sets up what happens at the end of the of this particular book, which you know makes it all right. the more powerful. Um, but, it, you know, it's a lot of real estate and money stuff. Um, right. But then you realize, like, oh, it's all tied to this larger thing at the end of that chapter. So, like, but there's that moment. Um, oh, I'm sure we'll get to it, but I, I, I want to say... There was a moment where I was like, oh, I believe I'm feeling real human emotion. And that's when Lydgate sees Rosamund as her most natural self and that she has never looked so natural in her life, not even as a five-year-old child. And I was like... (laughs) Like, okay, let's hold this together, Todd. You got a mustache now. (laughs) 
<laughs> is your mustache guarding against the softening heart that Middlemarch has given you? A little bit. A little <laughs> bit. But we'll get to that. We'll get to it. So that was my thought. Yeah. What did you think, Ryder? Um, I love anytime a word that I only think of in a metaphorical sense becomes literal. So when I learned that they were horse trading <laughs> and that that was literally meaning horse trading. And so I got into the details of that because I was like, yeah, why do we say horse trading now? It's like this, you know, negative metaphorical thing. And I was like, what, what does that mean? It's a shady business. And then the fact that that was like the first 50 pages was super excited to me. I was like, yeah, let's get into this. What is that all about? Uh, I actually really liked Fred just because, uh, I don't know, like there's something about a lot of, you know, my my attitude towards the the Jane Austen characters and, and a lot of these characters is is always from the sort of like, God, don't you recognize your own fucking privilege? Like, you know, this is very modern. And so to have Fred sort of just be a flailing and yet still sort of charming and landing on his feet guy, like I I was like, oh, this feels like a very modern uh, understanding of this, these types of people, you right. know, like it just, it was, it felt fresh to me. It felt like, oh, finally, you know, we're getting into some of the, like what it's like, the, the privileges that this like guy has knowing he's going to come into money and then spending it. And, and there, you know, and she, she introduces a couple, like the other people that he's going on his little horse trading journey with. Um, I don't know. Like, you know, they talk about certain people being like just leisure people mm-hmm. who just sit around playing pool. I, it was like, that was, a, I was like, okay, this is what I, I kind of really wanted to read about that aspect um, of, of life back then. Uh, Cause it's fascinating to me. Um, and, you know, and then, yeah, the Kazabon Dorothea stuff is just had me on the edge of my seat. I still think it's the best storyline. I'm so into it. Um, and then, of course, because of the life situation we're all in right now, all the fever stuff yeah. <laughs> felt, yeah. felt incredibly relevant. Yeah. It was yeah. like all the households freaking out and like being angry that their doctor doesn't, you know, do well. I was like, yeah, yeah. Like, uh, yeah. so that was cool to be reading about because th- it's, of course, what we're all thinking about right I, now. And to be I'm, thinking, you I'm know, not sure, by the way, that Lydgate's diagnosis of uh, Kazabon and his course of um, his course of medical advice is correct <laughs> like he cannot read in this state <laughs> he shouldn't yeah. be allowed to write <laughs> well do we know exactly what happened to Kazabon? is it just like a, a nervous breakdown or is it like an actual heart attack or well, like how did you guys read that he's I, a I weak it. old man in his 40s <laughs> yeah <laughs> don't you guys just collapse at any given moment <laughs> Fuck you! It's getting more and more likely. Yeah. Um. Well, I presumed it was like you know, maybe like uh, not. It wasn't a heart attack. He's not dead, right? And it doesn't seem like a stroke, but it could have been like a a seizure or something like that. Um. I mean, it's hard to say. I mean. Or he's just is like, I got to get away from these fucking people. I hate my wife. I hate this young dude who clearly wants her. I don't like this doctor. I don't, I'm not much of a writer, so I don't really need to be in the room with my books. So oh, I feel so sorry for him. Mm-hmm. I couldn't help. Yeah, I'm really beginning to feel empathy for, for poor fucking Kazabon. Okay, Hit. let's go to the chapter. Todd already 
um, opened or read the opening, but there was another really good uh, set of lines in there. Let me find it. Do do do. Oh yeah, I love this line. Big stars for me. Okay. Society never made the preposterous demand that a man should think as much about his own qualifications for making a charming girl happy as he thinks of hers for making himself happy. Yes. <laughs> love that oh one. I know, I underlined that too. And then um, on the next page, I, I was like, everyone needs to hear this. It is an uneasy lot at best to be what we call highly taught and yet not to enjoy to be present at this great spectacle of life and never to be liberated from a small, hungry, shivering self, never to be fully possessed by the glory we behold, never to have our consciousness rapturously transformed into the vividness of a thought, the ardor of a passion, the energy of an action, but always to be scholarly and uninspired, ambitious and timid, scrupulous and dim-sighted. Yeah. Yeah, those are my two favorite passages too. I underline them both. And that second one, I mean, that literally is my worst nightmare. It's like, that is what I am most afraid of in life. So, if wow. you were to work, say, at a university, yeah, you might Have encounter you some of these people. <laughs> I would say eighty percent of the people in universities. I've, oh my god! I've sat in meetings where I'm like, this person literally was like in consideration for a Nobel Prize, and he could not have any less humanity. Inside of him, yeah. he is only a compendium of the books he has read. Mm. Oh, and joy. I mean, to to argue for joy, you know, which uh, well, that's what I feel that that passion, that paragraph really is, is to argue for joy and passion as the highest possible noble pursuit mm-hmm. um, in a work that is really in, intellectual and scholarly in and of itself. I mean, it's. It's cool. She's so, talking to us, so cool. man. He, here's um, here's my writerly point of view about this. I I still contend that, of course, it's wildly overwritten in places. But like the throat clearing of the first hundred pages, George Eliot is a better writer by the time she gets to page two hundred and seventy-five than she was on page one, because she's yeah, written an entire book up to this mm-hmm. point. So all of a sudden my quibbles about explaining dialogue and explaining thought have changed because the attention that she's giving to the motivations of thoughts have changed. Or we or she's feeding us a different level of information now than she did at the top. Or maybe I just or care have more. You I changed. Don't know. Are you, are, well, I've been traveling sure? a lot. You're not more human. Traveling a lot. Yeah, I, I've been abroad. <laughs> I uh, I went to my backyard and then I went to my front yard. Amazing. Went to the guest room. Went to the closet in the cl- in the guest room. That was that was great fun. Went to Target. Um, but all of a sudden, yeah, I, mean, I, all of I a had sudden, a similar it's, thought. Taught... It's, it it's hit me better. Yeah, well, I had a similar thought. I was sort of like, I I felt this book. I felt like I settled into a like mid season of a TV. Show. Yes. Do you know what yes. I mean? Like I stopped. I stopped feeling like, where's this going? What do I need to know? Who do I need to keep track of? And instead I was just like, oh no, we're just in middle March and we're going to zoom into these people's lives. And like, I know we're going to be over here for a little while with these people and then it's going to cut away to these other people and I'm just in it with them. 
and we're going to get, we're going to reach an end, but I'm not like, I don't know. It just went like, I feel like the first book and second book I was sort of looking at is this really long movie that I was invested in. And now it's like, no, this is just going to be a great TV show. Or it's with, a like, book. Ups and downs. And, yeah. <laughs> Obviously. <laughs> I'm just trying to make parallels that, you it know, I don't read, me of I don't read long books like <laughs> <laughs> well, I think what you're talking about, Ryder, is something that I sometimes crave at certain points in my reading life, which are the pleasure of a long novel. Mm-hmm. You know, like there is just something completely wildly different about reading East of Eden instead of Of Mice and Men. Same writer, same strengths. Right. But, you know, you just at a certain point you want to join a world and you know, feel just along for the whole entire ride. And I will be, I'm sure that this book will give you guys the feeling and me too, of missing these characters in a more real way when it's over than a 200 page novel that you read in one day and absolutely loved, but it was just part of your day. It's not the middle March isn't part of your day. It's part of your life. (laughs) Like here, we're going to be for a couple months. I don't think I'd, I don't know about that. Well, well, at this point, Todd, well, yeah. you'll never be able to look back at the year 2020 without Middle March Jesus being Christ. an indelible That's part true. of it. That's true. Yeah, so, I think you might, you might be I right. Would, <laughs> I would love to talk about um, the Vinci's and this drama, this straight-up drama yeah. that this book ends with. Um, anybody want to summarize it? Who read it? Old Crone, Cash Money, Problems, Death. Featherstone. Yeah. So but remember the, the remember the witch the from the Babysitters Club. The witch, <laughs> the witch from the Babysitters actually Club, is actually an door. homage <laughs> to an old man named Featherstone in Middlemarch with a crooked <laughs> finger and a, a barrel of cash and gold, and you'll never get yeah. it. Blah. He's clutching his notes and gold right. as he dies. Yeah. So. <laughs> that was a little surprisingly over the top. Basically, a pa- a patriarch is 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 dying, right. and everybody's hovering to find out about his will and to make sure that they're in it, or to protect him from unscrupulous people coming in while he's dying. Um, but it's Fred's grandfather. Is that the relationship? Yeah. It's his, right. maybe right. great so uncle. Yeah great uncle i don't know it's a it's the patriarch that they're all sort of waiting for him to die which is hence the waiting for yeah exactly um so the la- the first section is about fred and his money problems and how they expand beyond just his him owing somebody money he also screwed over the poor garths who i love i, I love to yeah. get to know the garths um uh and that's unfortunate because fred is in love with the eldest daughter whose name is mary um, and he has completely screwed over their family uh, to the point where Mary, who has been working as a teacher, has to give over all of the pounds she has in her life so that, you know, Fred can pay off his debt. Um, and then, uh, yeah, so so that's Fred wants the money. Everyone wants the money at the end, <laughs> the Featherstone as he's dying. Uh, but then Mary ends up being the one alone with him, with the old man. As he's asking her, he he reveals that he has two wills and he asks her to get them so he can burn one of them. And she refuses to do this. And he's also like, take all my cash. And she refuses to do that, too. 
And he's clutching yeah. in his hands the keys to the chest that has the will in it. Yeah, it's really, it's actually pretty dramatic. Yeah. It's very and dramatic. She's, she's, <laughs> it's, she sits with him all night long, basically, as he clings to life. While also, I guess, slowly dosing him with morphine or something. <laughs> like it's, she's basically English patienting him at the end um, while sitting by a fire. And then by the morning, he's dead with his arm upraised, clutching a key, and then another hand clutching his money. <laughs> it's, it's quite an image. Right. It's how it's, I hope to go out. <laughs> so basically, she was she was she refused to be bribed, right? right is the idea, or she refused to because she knew she was in a position where they would she consider would her accused. unscrupulous. If they, right? Yeah. Right. She'd be accused. I mean, yeah. I was into this. Uh, first of all, I finished this like a week ago and you guys left me on this humongous cliffhanger and but you've already uh, read the book you know what happens i don't remember this part i thought it's part of your life after you read it <laughs> it's part of your life like you know an old relative that you don't really remember most of your conversations you've had with them <laughs> got it um but uh, I just love the description of Mary's point of view in the world. Um, so just a fascinating little character. And she had already come to take life very much as a comedy in which she had a proud, nay, a generous resolution not to act the mean or treacherous part. Mary might have become cynical if she had not had parents whom she honored and a well of affectionate gratitude within her, which was all the fuller because she had learned to make no unreasonable claims. Yeah. And I just love the writing of this as someone who like thinks of her life in a certain genre, but she's caught in this like fucking murder mystery, you know? <laughs> well, it's funny because I, I feel like that's a, a, that happens a lot in this book, right? Because mm -hmm. it's yeah. like, because Dorothea thinks of herself as this like, religious scholar marrying this great man of course like no you're in a shitty you know born like everybody imagines themselves as part of some rosamond imagines herself as like this romantic love story pastoral like, romance basically yeah pastoral romance it's like they're all sort of caught up in these ideas that like right. guys it's not really true or you know maybe you could just uh. Even Mr. Garth with his I love that passage about how he's obsessed with work and in love with work and how like he discovered, you know, men working and building things, and that was just his passion and his whole life. And he can't really like see anything outside of that. It's like that's all he cares about. And I was like, that's that that again speaks true to um I you know how people think of themselves in the world. Like we we pick our battles right. and we get super passionate about a thing and we see ourselves as like the star of our own little mm -hmm. thing, and then everybody, you know, and you could see this book is just so good at zooming in on those people's narratives and and showing the tension that they're experiencing inside themselves. I view myself what? sort of as a trickster. <laughs> well, I what I was going to ask is, you know, not just... I think we've all heard and thought about, we probably talked about in this show, like everyone feels like a protagonist. But I right. love the question of what genre do you think your life is in? Right. You yeah. Know? What right. style are you organizing your decisions around? And also um, yeah. super modern. Like it's a really modern yeah. take on... Right. Um, on essentially like there's people already like right now who feel like oh gosh I'm if only I was in a reality show like I was born to be a reality star like you're in reality <laughs> why do you need to be <laughs> in a reality show <laughs> <laughs> 
so that's really cool. But I mean, it's also, you know, it goes back to Shakespeare, you know, about the whole world's a stage. Um, yeah. So there's there's a historical context in literature for this sort of conceit. Um, but she plays it really well. And then you realize that in the different sections, the different people are looking at the other players based on how they envision their life to be. And that colors the way um, Elliot writes those, those parts, which is really um, pretty cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Interesting. So yeah, God, I hate, I hate being obscenely obvious <laughs> that, that I was wrong. I, I was wrong. Yeah. Well, I wasn't wrong about the first hundred pages. Well, now you get to just enjoy it, though. I mean, this is something that's good for us to think about. Like, don't let your snobbery get in the way of your enjoyment of life. <laughs> right? Well, I have, I have a couple. I, well, I have like I have different minds though, because on one hand, I agree with some. You know, Todd said earlier, like she's gotten to be a better writer, mm-hmm. and that does feel true to me. But I also wonder how much of it is just a different pacing, mm-hmm. right? Like she. It's a long novel. It was written to be serialized. So it was, you know, supposed to be coming out in installments. So it's going to start, it's going to be a, 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 like a longer or a slower start based on that to, you know, get, you know, she knows she's got eight books to deliver. Um, and then uh, I wonder how much of it is just us getting used to it. Right. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like how much do we just don't mind the flights of fancy and like going into somebody's mindset for two pages? Like now I actually look forward to that. I think probably the first couple chapters, I was like, wait, wait, wait. Why are we going into this person's head? Right. Do I care? Do I need mm-hmm, to care? Mm-hmm. But now I'm like, yeah, take me into Kazabon. What's he going? What's going on with him? You know? <laughs> Kazabon's so, a deeply fucked up character of my age. He is. He's, <laughs> how, do we know exactly how old he is? I think, he's, she I think he's 57, isn't he? I'm, I'm 49. 57. Because isn't, it, isn't she like, old. she's 20 or something? All right, let me. I'm gonna go. I'm in quarantine with two 70 plus year olds, and like the idea of thinking that a 57 year old was old. No, I know. No, I barely think of my parents in their 70s as old. You know, it's like you can't. Well, it turns out the older you get, the less that you think old people are old. (laughs) This is this is the problem with baby boomers right now in general. They're all in denial. Right. Every baby boomer I know and every baby boomer I'm this talking with. This is the with. problem with being a Gen X yep. person is I'm yeah. perpetually a 23-year-old slacker growing <laughs> an ironic mustache during quarantine Yep. just to change the way I look on my Zoom. <laughs> I can't find out how old he is because now I'm distracted by this ranting article in the independent about how dorothea ruined casabon's life oh god uh, <laughs> oh interesting wow. um hot may, take maybe hot take we'll from, return to from that 1782. <laughs> <laughs> this just in from 1645 although that actually goes to a comment that we got uh on twitter yesterday uh a person who said to me um like you can't uh you can't talk about the literary merits of this thing. Um, it was written in a more literate time than when we're reading it. And I was like, of course I can talk mm-hmm. about the literary merits. If that's the essence of literary criticism, we don't 
only read books that came out this year and pass judgment on them. There's whole articles now apparently in the Independent about what a scalawag Dor- Dorothea was. <laughs> but I mean, that's the wow. cool part about literature is that it's a living piece of art. You know, you always get to use it as a compare contrast with the society that you're living in. It's not, um, it's not held in amber because you're processing it through your own mind and through your own biases and loves and hates and all that shit. Um, and that's that's sort of what makes it different, I think, than movies sometimes because a movie feels always like a snapshot of the time that it was made. Um, like you know the what what was the the code in the 1930s? Uh, the Hayes Code. The Hayes Code. So like yeah. that's not that's not reality that's being shown to you. It's reality altered by the Hayes Code. Um, but books have this unique ability to just to hold a mirror up to the society at that time, and then you get to interpret it however you. You choose. Well, and so often books are completely dismissed or just you know not noticed in their time and then grow in meaning and value because mm-hmm. people see like holy shit you know i mean you think i mean I'm, uh, obvious example is moby dick you know oh, here is yeah so poor melville went bankrupt how many times in his life and like it's just so mind-boggling when you read moby dick or any of his work and you're like how could you not see how much genius there was here and how much commitment? I mean, how did he take that long and put that much energy into something and then to have it fail in his yeah. lifetime? Uh, yeah. I mean, that's just soul crushing. All you want to do is like go back in time and be like, it's going to be okay, man. Just keep <laughs> going. But they did. They kept going. Right. Oh, some of my favorite maritime nice. writing in that book. Yep. Uh, <laughs> you better watch out. We're gonna do it next, man. Yeah. So <laughs> what? We're doing it next. What's the next portion of this book called? What's what's our next chapter called? After waiting called... for death. Three love problems. Ooh. Yeah, well, we have three love. Uh, we have three love situations that we, they've developed, right? right? Mary, Fred, Rosamond, and Lydgate, and Dorothea and Cosmo. But also Dorothea and Will. Right, of course. Who's coming? Will's he's coming back. Will's on his way back. <laughs> the he's curl mullet. She thought, she thought she'd left Rome in Rome, but you can't. Here comes Paul Rudd. Just uh... Paul Rudd walking in. <laughs> That's who I see, by the way. That's, That's who you see, Paul, Paul Rudd. And <laughs> Lydgate, I see as. Uh... No, don't cast this for yeah. me. I don't want to think of contemporary Me neither. Okay, I, I have my own there. images. I won't say Hugh Jackman then. <laughs> what? No. A young Hugh Ridiculous. Jackman. I was going to no. say, Hugh Jackman's Casabon Age. <laughs> Literary Disco is produced and edited by Justin Alvarez for Lit Hub Radio. You can reach out to us directly on Twitter, at Literary Disco. Happy reading, everybody. Thanks for listening.